And what people don't realize is that growth doesn't create profit, growth eats profit. Growth is expensive, and it's especially expensive if you don't understand how to create the right systems, how to build the right teams. I mean, all the stuff that people don't like to talk about because it's not as sexy and boring, that's what actually creates assets of value. Welcome back to The Wild Goose Chase, where we help you to grow your business, build wealth, and live a life by design. And if you want to do just that, if you want to grow your business, create more freedom, and have a good time doing it, then this is the episode for you. Joining me on today's show is Ryan Dice. Ryan is one of the OG digital marketers. He started 17 companies. He's exited a whole bunch of other of companies. Uh, he's written books on business growth. He's the CEO of The Scalable Company and so much more. And in today's conversation, we cover things like how the more valuable you are to your business, the less valuable your business is. Ooh, big one. Uh, how to let go of limiting beliefs that are holding you back on your growth journey. How, how a part of you has to die in order for you to get to the next level of success in business, which is super interesting. We talk about the five exits of the entrepreneur and so, so much more. It's a great episode, super valuable. I got a lot from it. It's full of very actionable advice as well as great uh, mindset shifts that you need in order to become more successful, whatever success looks like to you. So before we get into it, make sure you hit the subscribe button, make sure you hit the like button, whatever platform you're on. The only request that I have from you is that you support this show. And the only support that I'm asking for is for you to subscribe, for you to like, for you to share. And if you do those things, that actually helps us to grow. It gives me fuel to want to continue to drive and deliver more transformational value to you. That's the whole function of this this podcast that we're doing is I want to create transformational value for each and every one of you. And the only thing that I ask for in return is that you subscribe, like, share, do all of that good stuff to help this podcast grow. And so if you're watching this on uh, YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button there and make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and releases. Without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wild Goose Chase. Joining me today is Ryan Dice. Now, Ryan Dice has been called an internet marketing genius by Grant Cardone. He's been called a magnetic speaker and brilliant marketer by Lisa Nichols. Dave and John said that you were one of the smartest and best marketers in the world, and I personally think of you as the nicest guy in business and marketing. Ryan, I'm so excited to have a chat with you today. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm mildly offended that you think I'm nice, but not. Ah. That's how I'm choosing to take. I'm choosing to take what you said as an underhanded. Comment. Okay, cool. Uh, but no, it's good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome to spend a bit of time with you. Now, um, I obviously uh, have had the opportunity to get to know you at least to some to some degree. Uh, you're one of my mentors and all of that kind of stuff. But for the people that are listening uh, to this who have no idea who you are, who are you? And why should they care what you've got to say? Sure. So serial entrepreneur, I'm definitely known uh, best uh, as a marketer because one of the companies I started that kind of has my face plastered on it is digitalmarketer.com. I uh, started a, uh, I guess, the largest marketing conference in North America, which is Traffic and Conversion Summit. And so it's fun because I've basically been able to play a marketer on TV for the past decade or so, but I consider myself to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I learned marketing so I could sell the things and the businesses that I was starting going back to you know, when I launched my very first business from my university dorm room uh, at 19 years old, I've just always been somebody who looked out there, saw an opportunity, said I can build a company around that and, and ran with it. So 17 uh, companies started, uh, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe it, it means I'm really cool. Maybe it means to just have entrepreneurial ADHD. Uh, but 17 companies started four really significant exits that were kind of life-changing type exits and um, a lot of other exits that were failures, but you get the idea. So yeah, I've been at this game for a little while, had you know, had the successes, had the failures. So it's interesting now, I want to pull on a little thread. I was sort of planning on pulling on this thread a little later, but let's just go there now. Um, you, when you started, uh, you definitely positioned yourself as a marketer. And I would kind of posit a, uh, an idea that you probably identified as a marketer. Is that kind of fair to say? And then if so, at what point did you transition in your mind to becoming an entrepreneur? And I'm interested to know like what, what had to change about your identity or your perception of self as you've grown through this journey. Yeah, I think I, I was happy to identify as a marketer, one, because I was learning so much from you know, all of these marketing greats, whether it was David Ogilvy or you know, Gary Halbert or you know, Dan Kennedy. I mean, there's all these, these people who went before me whether it was 100 years ago or 20 years ago that I got to learn from, and they were all marketers or they were advertisers, they were ad men. 
uh, there frankly weren't a lot of just pure entrepreneurs writing a lot of books. At least they were. I, weren't, I wasn't seeing them. And so I was happy to identify as a marketer. That's who I was learning from. And early on in my career, I don't know that I really saw a difference between marketing and the ability to generate sales, make the cash register ring. I didn't see a, di- a distinction between that and entrepreneurship. You know, early on, it was just, let's go sell some stuff. That's what it meant to have a business. I mean, yeah, you needed to fulfill it, obviously, on the back end. But the hard work was, can we sell it? And that was always the first problem to solve. And, you know, I think you asked, what's the mindset shift that had to take place? The mindset shift that had to take place for me was the realization that growth isn't enough. You know, I used to believe that as long as there was enough growth, as long as there was enough sales, everything would be fine. I could grow myself at any problem. Man, that's not true. What do you mean growth isn't enough? That's That's a very interesting statement because a lot of people, certainly when I um, go back even just a couple of years, you know, I would have identified sort of primarily as a like, Marketing was definitely my focus, right? More than say business building, for example. And I was of the same mindset. It was like I was like the only successful business people are marketers. Basically, it was kind of like a. But what do you mean growth isn't enough? Talk to me about that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, if you just look at the stats, right? So you got the Inc. five hundred and five thousand lists, right? And I know they've got different lists published all over the world. So, but the Kaufman Institute, which is a research institute, they did this follow up study with Inc magazine in coordination with the magazine that publishes the list of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the States and Australia and Europe, like all over the world, they publish these lists. And so these are supposedly the success stories. And, And I say supposedly, they are. They have been successful. But here's what they found when they went back and they looked at these companies, you know, five, six, seven years later. 67% of the companies that made the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies uh, in the States had basically failed within five to seven years. They had either gone out of business, um, they had shrunk dramatically in size, or they had been disadvantageously sold. Mm. And so that is just kind of proof that growth isn't enough. It's not enough to sustain a business. And I personally have learned this the hard way. There was one year I put three companies simultaneously on the Inc. 500 list, 505,000 list, three companies in our portfolio group, three different companies on the list at the same time. A month after the company that was the highest on that list, the month after it appeared on that list, that company was near bankruptcy. We were laying everybody off, right? And so I've learned the hard way a number of times that growth isn't enough. So funny. That is, uh, so so, I say funny in a, yeah, yeah, in a- Not funny, ha-ha. Funny funny with like a PH- we did something similar. So we made a a fast, you know, top top 50 or whatever, fastest growing, you know, 14th fastest growing technology company. And then yeah, like literally around the time those awards were being announced, we were downsizing our team. And it was like, this is, mm-hmm. uh, and simultaneously at the same time as we were literally at the, the month that we were downsizing our team, we got nominated for the best place to work in Australia. <laughs> and we were like, we're like, this yes. feels very strange that this is all of this is happening together. So- and this is the stuff that nobody talks about, man. I mean, I, I know this. It happened with me, right? And I experienced it. I remember feeling just so much shame, uh, just so much shame and not wanting to admit it, trying to hide it. Um, but I, mean, I was relatively public. There was only so much that, that we could do. And I talked to a lot of other people and they're like, yeah, same thing happened to us. And, and so this idea that that we will grow ourselves out of, out of any issue or challenge, it just isn't true. Um, it's not in the data. And the reality is, is that businesses exist to make money, to turn a profit. And what people don't realize is that growth doesn't create profit. Growth eats profit. Growth is expensive. And it's especially expensive if you don't understand how to create the right systems, how to build the right teams. I mean, all the stuff that people don't like to talk about because it's not as sexy and boring, that's what actually creates assets of value. So is it possible to grow your way out of, out, like, you know, because the idea of growing your way out of any problem is like, ah, oh, we're running out of money. Let's just grow more. And then, you know, we'll, you know, all of this, this sort of generally the thesis is like bigger is better and we can solve more problems if we have more money and therefore growth equals more money and therefore more problems can be solved. And this is the, this is the thinking. And I'll be honest, that's a, a belief system that I have held and uh, as I think about it, probably still do hold. And um, I'm curious to know, is it, is it possible to do it if you have the right systems? And is it just that people don't know how to do it? Or is it actually just like, no, no, you need to throw that idea in the bin and you need a new idea? I think what you have to acknowledge is that it, it's not only growth. I mean, so what you said, is it possible to focus on growth if I have all these other things? Yes. 
right? Is it possible to grow so much that systems don't matter, that good people don't matter? That is, no, I don't believe that it is. And we see this time and time again at companies. And look, at some point, every company needs to become independently profitable. Its operations need to produce distributable cash, right? That is the ultimate expectation of every company. If you look at even publicly traded companies, mm-hmm. you know, look at look at Facebook and Google and these companies that they're dealing with right now, like what they're dealing with right now, they've been told you can essentially grow and you can burn money and you can lose. And as long as you're showing growth, we're okay with it. Well, now the street, the stock market, like they're all saying, no, look, we want to see that you have the ability to turn a profit. Um, and, and so I think you need to be strategic about it. You don't ever just want to completely turn off the growth engines. But the idea that that we can just power through, let's keep it held together with duct tape, bubblegum, and hope that it's not at some point going to rattle apart, it will. Mm. Right? It will. And you better the better you are at growth, the faster it'll rattle apart if you don't take care of all the other things. Yeah. That's interesting. One of the first questions I was going to ask you, and I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we've already sort of covered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just in case we haven't, is what is what is one contrarian belief? that you hold to be true? Like what is something that you believe that other people do not believe that you hold to be true? Yeah, I mean, as it relates to entrepreneurial companies specifically, because that's, you know, that's what I see that I'm building. I'm not out there raising lots of capital. I mean, we're we're building these companies, taking our own risks. I say to entrepreneurs all the time, and it's the one that people look at me sideways on, the more valuable you are to your business, the less valuable your business is, right? And that's the one where I get pushback. And, and people don't, don't realize, they don't think about it, but it's absolutely true. Our job as founding entrepreneurs should be to eventually become the least valuable people in our company. Because what that means is we're free. And all these people who they, you know, they pride themselves in their ability to swoop in and solve any problem, right? That's good. That'll make you feel really, really good. You're also going to build a prison of your own design right? You are not going to own that business. That business is going to own you. I know it because I've lived it and I've paid the price for it. Uh, and so that's not my goal anymore, but that's the one that I probably get the most, again, sideways glances and pushback. Yeah, that's, that is really interesting. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit more because I think that there's a lot to pick apart there. Because most of the time, you know, I would even go as far as to say, Every problem that every individual has is firstly a problem with perception, right? It's in their own head, right? And then if they can solve that, they can pretty much solve the whatever whatever else is going on. So the idea that the entrepreneur or the business owner or the founder or whatever title that people want to kind of give themselves in their own labeling uh, process, the goal should, it be, should be to become the least valuable person in the business. That requires some kind of like ego death or some... And I'd love to I'd love to know about that. And the secondary kind of part on that is how do you rationalize between the needs and wants of the founder versus the team? Because this is an interesting one. Because if you said to and and, and I, you've transgressed this, which is why I'm interested to kind of like pull it out of you. If someone has built a business, right, and they've built this team, and they're like they're the champion of the team, and they're leading the charge, and they're G and everyone up every week and they're the figurehead they're the face they're the dancing bear inside the business and potentially outside the business as well if that individual was to turn around and say hey guys guess what this whole business exists so that i can travel around the world endlessly you know just staring at clouds um so can you guys all get to work please so that i can sail around the world and never have to work again that that seems like a pretty like how do you navigate that as well so there's the two parts there's like the identity piece and then there's the team piece can you Help me understand how to navigate that. Yeah, well, there, there are two different issues, so let's tackle yeah. them separately, if that's all right. The, so the first one that you talked about, how do, we, how do we deal with the reality that, that yeah, there needs to be a change that takes place? It is, and you, you said the word, and it's the right word, and it's death, right? We have to die to one identity. And this is a really challenging thing of entrepreneurship, because the reality is, is I've never met an entrepreneur who wasn't at least a little bit of a narcissist. Mm right? Not full-blown delusional narcissism necessarily, but you've got to have be some degree of a narcissist to decide, I'm going to create this thing that doesn't exist from scratch. That's not normal, right? That's not normal. And it's it's the kind of not normal that I love. Those are the people I, I love hanging out with. I know you do too. It's why I like hanging out with you. That's how we are. We're just narcissistic enough to believe that, damn it, we can do it. And so 
that is what is required to get this thing going, right? That's what's really required to get the business going. And if you don't have that on day one, you will not succeed, period. But then there comes a time when you have to utterly die to that and you have to flip. And now all of a sudden, it can't be all about you. If this thing is going to grow, it has to be about the team and it has to be about the systems. You got to start handing off all of your uh, bags of tricks. I need to teach this thing to this person, this one to this one over here. I'm not going to you know, get credit for that anymore. And what you have to decide is, am I more interested in my identity or am I more interested in wealth and freedom? I know plenty of people who have built businesses where they are at the core, they're the center, they're the dancing bear, they are owned by that business and they are happy. They're happy mm. because really their currency is fame and their currency uh, is significance more than it is freedom, optionality, you know, wealth impact. Mm. Now, I'm not going to judge them for that, but I do think that it's important like, you know, you and I are having this conversation, but I think it's important for everybody listening. Be really clear on, on what it is that you're after. And if you say, no, look, like what I'm after is, you know, I want to be significant, significant to this organization. I want to be the most important person in this organization. I want to be the person that everybody turns to if they're stuck. I want to build my little fiefdom. Okay, that is fine. It's your company. You can do that if you want to. You just can't complain that you don't get to go on holiday for an extended period of time. You just don't get to do it. You can't have it both ways. And you don't get to complain uh, that, that, you know, you're not making as, that you don't have an asset that's sellable and therefore it's not creating wealth. So I think you got to be clear on it. But if your goal is, which most entrepreneurs say, most entrepreneurs that we work with say, you know, yeah, I'd like to be able to sell this one day or I want to build wealth. I, I started this company to create freedom. Okay, great. Then you have to build, build, build with all that delusional narcissism and then you have to die to it. You have to one day decide, you know, okay, it's time for me to start handing these away. And how you do it is somebody coming along and saying, oh, it's okay. This is what it's supposed to feel like. It's okay that it hurts. It's okay that you feel a, a loss when this happens. It's okay. I liken it to, and I haven't had this experience yet, but I'm about to get there. I've got four kids. My oldest just turned 17, which means in another you know, year or so, he's going to be heading off to university, right? That'll be that. And uh, I've talked to parents who a few years ahead of me and some much more, and, and what they say is it's so it's the best times, the worst times. It's the agony and the ecstasy. It's terrible. You're so proud and you're so happy. Certainly if you've got raised this good kid that's able to go, but my God, is it a loss? And I think it's the same for entrepreneurs, that identity piece. Mm. It's the same. And you got to be okay with that. You got to be okay that because it hurts and because I feel a sense of loss, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's different, a new journey. Yeah, you know, and there's the there's a there's the kind of saying or or thinking or whatever that everything that you want in life is on the other side of discomfort, right? And in that sense, it's kind of more true than in many other ways you might kind of think about it. It's like, well, if the function and to be honest, I didn't when we started our business, it wasn't like we're going to build this business so that we can. Oh, actually, let me think about that. I'm not 100 percent sure if that that was true. Yeah, I think actually we did create a business because we wanted to help other people and build wealth for ourselves. We reached a point where we realized. Well, if we sold this thing, we could kind of like not have to work. And then we realized that actually that wasn't the thing we wanted to do. We wanted to create something that would be more meaningfully uh, different. But in the context that you're, you're talking about, it, it's kind of like, you know, the thing that you want is on the other side of that discomfort, that idea that you're going to have to kill a part of your identity. And you're going to need to become a new version of you in order to be able to live to the greatest potentiality. Can we tackle the next little bit though? Like how do you kind of galvanize the team around that concept? Yeah, I want to. I want to kind of close one loop on, on on the first one though. What it looks like, by the way, when people don't accept that it's hard but it's good. These are the people who build a company up to a particular place, and then for whatever reason, that company winds up in. Oh, it's really interesting. Um, Can you expand on that? That's very. You see that you'll see this cycle. I know entrepreneurs who get themselves in this cycle. Um, what? what they'll self sabotage. Yeah. To, yeah. So they self okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be interrupting there, but I'm fascinated by this. So what you see is like, unless business owners can get to a place where they can transgress that kind of like identity death and rebirth type thing, they will reach a plateau. And then I'm presupposing here, they'll have some deeply inbuilt dissatisfaction and they'll, they'll, they'll sabotage, tear it all down and then rebuild it again so they can continue to live that same identity. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and I've seen it manifest itself in a lot of ways. I've seen it manifest itself in really just horrifically 
unexplainably bad business decisions. Uh, I've seen it in the decision to pursue overly risky strategies at the expense of what is there. Uh, I've seen it at, it, it can sometimes manifest itself looking like an overbearing toxic leader, somebody who is just trying to manipulate everybody or micromanage everybody um, to essentially get the best people ultimately to leave. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen people just get, I'm so sick of this company and sell it when it's like not worth as much as it could be. Basically just sell it. I've seen people frankly get in a cycle of, of addiction. I've seen people get in cycles of infidelity. You know, I've seen people reach a certain point and every single time their marriage implodes. Literally. I mean, I know one entrepreneur who that's he builds a business to a certain point, and the next thing you know, he's getting a divorce. The business crumbles as a part of this, starts a new marriage with an, you know, a new partner. It's it is tragic, but I see it manifested. I mean, again, I've been doing this long enough and have the the privilege, I would still say, working with so many entrepreneurs, but my God, I get to see I get to see a lot of beautiful patterns. I get to see a lot of tragic patterns as well. So I would just encourage you, those of you who are here, if, if you find yourself button up against that, then you could kind of feel yourself going down that path talk to somebody, you know, get a good, get a good coach or mentor in your corner um, who can kind of work with you through some of this stuff. Cause I've seen so many people blow up really amazing businesses because they didn't feel like they were worthy of the next stage. Mm. And so they brought the business down to where they felt they were worthy. That imposter syndrome, man, it's brutal. I'm going to jump in there with, I know we were going to talk about the team thing, but you've seen this, you have been through this and you uh, run a company called Scalable, uh, Scalable.co and Scalable Company. And so effectively, you're helping other uh, entrepreneurs to transgress this. How Do you have any kind of like practical advice for someone who might be all of the things that you've just said? They're going, man, I'm doing that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing unnecessarily risk, risky things, you know, I, I, if they feel that. Like what practical advice do you have for them to help to help them kind of like crack through that? What would you suggest? Yeah. I mean, it, a lot of it's just future casting. I try to get them to say, you know, where do you want specifically, where do you want to be and where do you want your business to be in three years? And I found that three years is the magical time scale. A lot of folks will say, you got to make a five or a 10 year plan. I've just found that entrepreneurs don't, we are good at going out into the future um, and, and predicting where the future is going to be. But when it comes to us, we can't really think about ourselves beyond a certain point is my experience. So I found that three years is a really good sweet spot. And so to say, okay, three years, what are you doing? What's your business doing? Let's kind of think about it in that time frame because it's long enough to, to where I could probably do some pretty cool stuff between now and then, but sure enough that I can really imagine it. And one of the questions, uh, you know, I'll ask them, we start with the three whys. Why? Like, what do you want? What's your why that's your selfish me why? What do you selfishly want for mm. you? Right. And I want you to get down and dirty. Like, what's that, that thing you really want to buy? that you know it's so shallow, you don't want to admit it. It's like, I've always just wanted a bright bumblebee yellow Lamborghini, you know, that kind of thing, right? And, you, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying, by the way, any of this is shallow. I'm just saying people will bring that self-judgment to it. So what do you want for you? Entrepreneurs struggle with that. So we'll say, okay, let's pull back. What do you want for the people closest to you? Your inner circle. So this can be your family partner. This can be your business partners, your highest level executives. Your inner circle, what do you want for them? And then let's go out to the world at large, the them. So we call it the me, the us, and the them. What do you want for yourself in three years? Your usins, your peoples in three years, and the them, your community, the world at large. I found that entrepreneurs, you ask them about what do you want to achieve? And they're like, here's how we're going to disrupt this and do great by humanity. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Let's drill it in a little bit. So that's one practical thing that you can do. But if you're struggling with this, the thing that you can do is say, what don't I want? Sometimes it's easier to figure out what you want by asking what don't you want and, and using inversion. So what do you definitely not want to be doing? And I hear, well, I definitely don't want to eat like, I don't think I want to be running this company in three years. Oh, okay. You know, it, some people might say, well, I know for a fact, you know, I certainly don't want to sell it. Like I love this company. I, I want to, you know, I want to be around and be able to hand this off to my kids. Oh, okay. Right. But what we want to do is we want our future selves to be proud of the actions that we're taking today. So that really is kind of the first piece and to say, okay, now what needs to be true to make that transition? And oftentimes what I hear from business owners, even if they say that they don't want to sell, they almost all universally say, well, I don't want to be working as much as I'm working now. You know, I'm working 50, 60, 70, 80 hour weeks and that's fine today. We're building stuff. But if I'm still doing this in three years, I'm going to be burned out. 
Okay. So you want to be working less. Love it. Love it. What that's going to take is dying to some of the things that you're doing. And so that's kind of the practical thing. You've got to say, where do I want to be in the future? And say, okay, what does that mean today? What actions can I take today that, are, that will make my future self proud? And inversion is a biggie. What don't I want? Mm. So hopefully that's- Yeah, I like that. I like that inversion thinking. What I also liked about that was the, um, and this will actually kind of tie back to the team thing, was the the three circles, right? Because it's because what, mm-hmm. what can really feel really selfish is like, well, I want this. I want to, I don't know, whatever, say work. I only want to work 10 hours a week and I want to earn this much money and I want to be able to, whatever, right? You know, whatever those things. That's very self. That's very like, and most people are, you know, to, to your point, narcissistic enough to know that they want that, they have that desire, but also selfless enough to be like, but what about the other people? Because they typically want to help other people. So the us, the us circle is really interesting because that could, to your point, include your family, the people closest to you, could also include your team, could include your highest level executives. It could also extend to your entire company, right? Because that is still within that, I guess, that, that circle of community. It's kind of like, Personal, community, global is sort of a, a different way to think about it. So then is the key to having your team, so to speak, support what you want, first thinking about how do you help them get what they want so that they're enriched and fulfilled and you're enriched and fulfilled versus I'm going to get all this kind of stuff and I'm just going to have this all of these people working for me. Like, can we kind of talk about that relationship a little bit? Because I think that that's a piece that a lot of people get stuck with. Yeah, and I think it comes down to alignment, right? And so this idea of do I get what I want and then I give it to them or do I fill them up first and then it overflows into the company? I'm not sure that that's how it actually happens um, for, for multiple reasons. Number one, not everybody in the company is going to be filled up in exactly the same way. And at scale, it's nearly impossible to figure out what's going to fill up each individual person. The reality is they don't know. Uh, The reality is it'll change. And so if it's incumbent upon me as the leader of this company to figure out how can I get each of the individuals that works for me to achieve their own personal fulfillment so that it overflows at the company level, I just don't see that as a scalable model. When you look at the organizations that perform the best, the most efficiently, right? You've got to look at sports teams, Mm. right? You got to look at sports teams. And why do they perform so incredibly well? I think number one, it's a meritocracy. The best people are there. If you're not good, you get cut. And that doesn't sound like warm and fuzzy, but it's because it's not a family. It's a team. And I think we've made this kind of mistake in culture of saying, we're going to go and recreate the family experience, or in many cases, the experience of a religious group at the company level. It's not, it's, that's not what they do. I mean, you could do that, just accept that you're creating a cult, a for-profit cult. Just call it a freaking cult, get nonprofit status, right? Like, uh, come on. Like, at the end of the day, it, the, it's got to be a meritocracy. But I think the bigger thing that you have there is a shared unified goal. Every team at the start of every year in every single sport has the same goal. Win the championship, win the title, win the cup, win the Super Bowl, win the whatever. So every, and every player on that team, from the coach, the owners, the assistants, the towel boys, the players at every position, they're all unified to that exact same mission. And what they see is, if the team achieves its goals, then I'm going to achieve my personal goals as well. I'll achieve my fulfillment goals, you know, personally, because I know I'm doing really well. Maybe I personally want to make the Hall of Fame. Kind of tough to make the Hall of Fame or whatever the, you know, thing is if your team sucks and never wins, right? Um, I want to get paid well. I want to get the best endorsements, right? All that's going to be there if the team wins. And so I think it's incumbent upon the leader to define, this is what winning looks like. And then to say, those of you who you are going to win in this way, you're going to win when we win, let's do this together. And what I've said to people who have worked for me in the past, and this is a little bit maybe harsh and direct, but if somebody's coming in at a high level, the conversation that I have with them comes goes something like this. Uh, I believe that this relationship is mutually exploitative. Okay? You want to exploit this company and this job and this career for as much as you can get out of it to pursue your personal ends, right? Now, 
obviously, if you cross a line and steal and break the law, well, that's not okay. But in general, like, that's amazing. What do I want to do? I want to get as much out of your talent, your abilities, your treasure to grow the company. And as long as we are rowing the same boat in the same direction, this is going to be an amazing relationship. If at any point in time, you find that what you personally want is suddenly misaligned with where we're going, right? And that could be anything. That could be, you know, you just want more time at home. You, you, you know, you had a baby and you don't want to work full time anymore. Okay, great. Like we know are no longer aligned. It doesn't invalidate what happened before. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means we're no longer aligned. We're thankful for the time we had, but we understand there's no future in this. So we're going to make a change. Similarly, if we discover that we're no longer aligned with you because what the company needs today is something you can't provide, we're going to come to you and we're going to say, hey, it's not working out. If we can find another position, great. To me, it really is that simple. And I think people understand that. And I think as long as you can paint a picture of saying, if the company grows, then you're going to have what you want. And now it just comes down to what is what you want. And there are plenty of companies that define success as we make a lot of money, we distribute a lot of money. There are other companies who define success as we become very big and significant and our brand grows so that your personal brand grows. If you go and work for a McKenzie, you know, or, or, you know, one of these other big consulting companies, it's understood. You're going to put in a two to four year tour of duty and then you're going to go and get a VP C-level role at another company. Everybody understands that deal, Mm. right? Because you said you worked at McKinsey or Bain & Company or Boston Consulting Group, you can take this and go somewhere else. Everybody kind of gets that. There's other companies that say, we are here to maximize the lifestyle of everybody in the company. We want you to come here and you're going to work 30 hours, clock in when you want, do the work. Like that's what we're all here for. We're here to make what we can make. I think all of those could be good. I just think you have to be clear on what it is. And when entrepreneurs get themselves in trouble, it's when they say that, oh, we're all about maximizing, you know, the lifestyle of our people. And yet I want you in the office every day and look, we got to work 80 hour weeks. So know what you want. But as the entrepreneur, this is your sandbox. Build what you want and you'll attract the people that want that too. You don't have to figure out what your people want because the reality is they're not going to be around forever anyway. They're just not. I've watched people come and go so much during my career. And anytime I've tried to bend the company to the will of, an, of a team member, they always wind up leaving anyway. Mm. So you pick. It's your company. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting it's an interesting one, right? Particularly around the bending bending the company to me, like because uh, a lot of business owners get a personal attachment to a, a an individual, maybe to get out of fear or whatever. They're like please don't leave or whatever the case may be. And you can end up kind of like making all of these like bending things. Like if we just do things like this and like this, and it's like, I've personally experienced that 100% of those times, it never works out. Like it just, it just never, ever, ever works out. It's either, they're either there's either alignment and then it feels, and it feels good or there's misalignment and it doesn't feel good. And sometimes when it doesn't feel good, you can be like, hey, I feel like we're misaligned. Can we get back on the same page together? Great. And if not, <laughs> then it's like, okay, cool. I wish you well. I you know, I think you're a wonderful human being and go forth and do the best work that you can in the world, not here sort of thing. So super interesting. Yeah. Can I reframe, can I frame that a yeah. little bit for people so they can feel okay about it? There's one relationship in my life where I have agreed that we are going to stay aligned until we die. And that is with my wife. Mm right? We have agreed that no matter what, and, and I get that lots of people make the agreement it doesn't work out. So I'm not judging anybody who sure. who has experienced separation and divorce, but that's the only, that, to my knowledge, that's the only agreement I've ever made to that extent. Even my own children, the, the deal is when they're young and can't take care of themselves, we got them and they're going to provide unending levels of cuteness, right? And I'm going to love them and that's my job for a season, but then guess what? We're going to become misaligned because they want to start their own lives and they're going to need to go elsewhere. Mm. And and that's a good thing. It's sad, but it's a good thing. You're going to have team members who they outgrow you. And so they need to go. You're going to have team members that you outgrow. And so they need to grow. And and this the earlier you realize that this is not till death do us part. This is not marriage. This is not family. We are a team the faster you'll reduce any guilt about that and it'll just simplify the running of a company. Uh, and, and you can have real adult conversations with people too. And you can have them early. Hey, right now, this is what we need from you. This is what this role requires. You're not doing it. Let's help. 
It's still not working out. What's going on? And eventually it's like, God dang it. Love you mean it. You can't be here because you can't do the thing. And we've talked about it. Mature people get it even if it hurts. Totally. I want to steer the conversation towards the five exits of the entrepreneur because we've kind of been talking. This has sort of all been layering up into this broader general idea around creating the life that you want. That's effectively the way we've been. It's like the vehicle is in this context is business. And what we're ideally trying to work out is how do we create the life that we want, whatever that looks like. And it might be working at house or whatever, whatever the case may be, but it might not be. And so I think one of the challenges and one of the things, one of the things you're very, very good at is building um, mental models and frameworks to help people understand more complex uh, topics. And when people think about exits and they, th- and this is kind of like related also to that, the kind of ego death idea, it's like, well, how do we, how do we get out of this, right? I'm in this current situation and then I want to get out of it. And a lot of people think, well, I'm either just going to be in this, I'm going to be, this is my job to work 80 hours a week until the day I die. Or the only other option is sell the company or maybe shut the company down. There, that's it. Yeah. So, but that's not true. So, well, at least, you know, from, from what I understand, that's not true. So, can you talk to me about the five ex- exits of an entrepreneur so that people can start to think about how they might walk a pathway to get to what they want. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll set the stage by saying, everybody needs to know what my, my bias is. I don't personally believe in solo entrepreneurship mm. or, or being a solopreneur. I'm not saying I don't believe in it as though I don't believe it exists. It's not what I do and it's not what I, it, because it's not what I practice, it's not what I preach. I'm not saying it can't happen, but you know, I, I know there's lots of people who say, I want to have my, I want to have my, my business, my side hustle, you know, my gig over here and it's going to provide for my for my lifestyle and that's all it's going to do and I'm going to have this lifestyle business. So if that's where you are, just know that what I'm about to say doesn't apply to you. Okay? And and I'm not saying that what you're you know doing is is wrong, bad or or anything. It's just not what I do. You know, I don't like the idea of having a laptop you know, life laptop on the beach lifestyle. I like the idea of going to the beach and not bringing the freaking laptop. Right? That's kind of my thing. Um and so I just want everybody to know my bias. I think it's important to know people's bias. So my job, again, and, and what I'm optimizing for with these companies is freedom and wealth in that order. And generally, more wealth is going to create more freedom. So that's what I'm optimizing for. I'm not optimizing for significance, right? I, I'm not optimizing for fame. A lot of this is because I'm an introvert. It's also because, you know, people far more famous and significant than me died not that long ago. and We've all forgotten about them. There's statues and buildings strewn across the world covered in bird feces, and nobody knows who that person was, but they're a big enough deal that somebody may Hang on a second. You're telling so, me you don't want to be immortalized yeah. in stone and covered in bird shit? I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't. And, and I think that's important to notice because some people do, and I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm telling you what I'm optimizing for. So if you're optimizing for the same, this is helpful. If you're not, just know it may not be. So in terms of the five X's of the entrepreneur, right, if we're optimizing for freedom, then we're ultimately optimizing for some type of an exit. And I got to give credit where credit is due. My business partner, Roland Frazier, actually was the one who came up with, with the five exits. And, but I mean, what he talked about was entrepreneurs, as they're going through their career, are going to have five exits. And the first exit is when you exit the line. And exiting the line is simply when you make your first couple of hires and you learn the art of delegation. It's when you're able to just get off the front lines and some people start doing some things so it's not just you. So if you're a solo entrepreneur and you you know if you have some at least outsourcers some contractors then I would argue you've exited the line. If you made a single hire then congratulations you've achieved exit number 1, exiting the line. Exit number 2 is when you exit the staff. And this is the one that's actually the biggest I think the biggest leap. Exiting the staff is when you go from being a manager to being a true CEO. Mm. Manager to true CEO. A lot of entrepreneurs that I know have the CEO title. They are a CEO in title alone. They are a manager with a CEO title because they are still very much in the business telling everybody what to do. And if you're the genius with a thousand helpers, you are not a CEO. Okay. Genius with a thousand helpers, you are a very busy, probably overwhelmed and burned out manager. So what it takes to achieve exit number two, now you got to have an operating system in place. Because up until this point, you have people, but the operating system is you, right? You're the one that makes all the decisions. When it comes to where's the company going to go, you know the goals, but they're in your head. How do I do that thing over there? You're the best at it, so you do it, or maybe you show somebody else how to do it, right? So what it looks like 
to truly become a CEO is we've got the operating system in place. We've got all of our core uh, value processes documented. Everybody's been trained up on them. We have dashboards, we have scorecards, we have a meeting rhythm. We've got a framework for decision-making. There's these core components that, that I know you know about because you know we talk about them. I wrote a book on them. But these are the things that, that you need to have in place and you know you can do it. And this is big when you can take a 30-day vacation. Mm. When you can take a 30-day vacation without logging in to email or Zoom meetings or Slack, you know, and, and you come back and things aren't just still there, but they're as good or better, that's when you know you're functioning as a CEO. You're working kind of over your business. You're not completely in it. So that's, that's exit number two. Um, the other one's exit number three. This is when you exit the org chart. And this is when you would bring in uh, an operator, a full-time operator run the company. This could be a president, a general manager. This could be a CEO. But at this point, you no longer have operational responsibilities at exit number three. Um, you're effectively a board member. So you still, you still have all your equity. You still have governance. You still have some strategic and visionary oversight, but you are not running the day-to-day. You have no direct reports except to the extent that that leader is reporting into you. And, and the sign here, like, if I get this, that's that's when I know I don't have an email address with that with the company URL. Fascinating. That's when I know I've taken exit number three. <laughs> you know, um, exit number four is when you exit the board, and this is when you give up the governance responsibilities, the vision responsibilities, and you're just an investor. So you have all of your equity. You may still be getting dividends and distributions. But you were an investor just as though you were to go and buy stock on the open market. And then exit number five is exit ownership. This is when you actually sell your company. So when we use the word exit, a lot of entrepreneurs think sell the business. Um, That's exit number five. There's four other exits that come before that. The ones that I'm most interested in are exits two and three. Yeah, I was gonna. I was right. gonna ask that. Like, Give is there a sweet spot? Is there a sweet spot where that you that you think, and it's kind of like in that kind of two to three? Do you want to talk about that? Because it seems like that's where you can still have the passion for the business, but you know, have some influence. Can you talk about those two? Yeah, for me, it's exit number three. I want to exit the org chart. I, I want. I don't want to be the CEO, in part because I'm not the best at it. I've seen really good operators in action. I'm kind of the zero to one guy. I can get it going into the initial growth phase. But again, we talked about it, I identify more as a marketer. Uh, I can build systems, but the framework's there. Like I'd rather somebody else go and do it. And then the it's the managing and the maintaining of it. The CEO job really can be a grind. You know, it it, it really can be. I mean, there there needs yeah, you can go away for 30 days, but when you're there, there needs to be a consistency uh to it. And you know, I like to go and try new things. I want to go and, and pursue another project, but I want to know this one's still here. So I like exit number three. I know lots of entrepreneurs who they're very passionate about their business and um, they want exit number two. So they want to they want to be running it. They want to be interacting and engaging with the team. These people who love building up other people, you know, they don't just love, like they don't just love working with people, but they love pouring into people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and seeing them really grow. This is... I mean, that to me is what a, is what a CEO does. Yeah, was and, um, awesome. and and so I've seen that a lot. It's not me. yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you what is in your point of view the role of a CEO because I feel like that gets a little bit grey. You know, I've heard um, Richard Branson say something like the role of a CEO is to find the best people and you know uh, you see craft a compelling vision and find the best people and get out of the way. You know, a lot of people say the CEO is like it's vision and strategy. And then other people think the CEO is like getting it done, so to speak. What do you think is the role of the CEO? Yeah. The, the CEO should absolutely be, um, casting the strategic vision for the company. Right. And so they connect. Now this can be informed, right? The vision can be informed by the board. That can be a collaborative process, but ultimately it's the CEO that needs to connect the vision for the company. This is where we are going. This is what we are all about with kind of the in the trenches, resources, assets, key initiatives that need to be pulled together to see that vision become true. And they need to be able to sell it. You need to be able to explain it to the team. So I see CEOs as, yes, they they are in charge of the vision, but they don't necessarily need to set it alone. Um, if it's if they're a solo founder and and they're the CEO, then it it'll be them setting it and executing it uh, for sure. But they own the vision to the extent that they communicate the vision. That's the first thing. The second thing is yes, hire, train, and recruit the best talent. And I would in- add with that, you know, 
maintain and up-level the company's operating system, right? So that the people and systems component, the CEO really owns that aspect because that's the doing. That's that's how it happens. And, and the last thing is don't run out of money. Mm. I mean, I think that's really important. As the CEO, you cannot run out of cash because that's the fuel of the business. And that's the one that a lot of people get wrong. And so understanding CEOs really at their best, they're asset allocators, mm. right? They're asset allocators, but their assets aren't just cash, it's talent. Yeah. And so the CEOs have to understand and communicate the vision, but beyond that, they're asset allocators in the form of talent and treasure. And that's that's really what a CEO is is doing. And they're making the tough calls. They're the ones saying, this person in this seat, they're just, they're not going to, they've been great. They're not going to go to the next level. We got to bring somebody else in. We got to put somebody on top of them. You know, these resources, these systems that we have, I don't know that that's going to get it. So that's what a CEO is doing. Awesome. I love that. It's a really good distinction. And I think... Um, yeah, the idea around being an asset allocator is really, really important. You know, you can kind of like cook it down into a couple of different ways. It's like, are we achieving all of our goals and not running out of money? Now, the goals can be defined in many ways. It could be a growth target. It could be a team engagement score. It could be a um, number of products. It's like, are we achieving our goals and it's not running out of money? <laughs> you know, like sort of. Yeah. So um, I'd like to ask you a, a kind of like kind of a two-part sort of, sort of final uh, question. You've achieved a lot, 17 companies, I think you said you've um, started, multiple exited, all of that kind of stuff. You know, you've had a big impact on the business and marketing space. You've done a lot of really cool, cool things. But if you woke up tomorrow and everything that you had was gone, everything, like you just spontaneously woke up, you, you know, for the purposes of this mental exercise, you still have your family and everything like that. We're not suddenly, but- Good, thank you. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have none of your money, you have none of your reputation, you have none of your companies. No one knows who you are. You can't leverage any part of your current existence. Everything's gone. Blank slate, blank slate back to square one. Firstly, the first question is, would you try to rebuild what you currently have? Or would you take an opportunity to craft a different life? And then the second follow-up question to that is, in whichever one of those things you choose, what steps would you, do, would you take to achieve your goal? So I'm fortunate. I've I've lived part of this reality. I haven't lived the reality of losing absolutely everything, including like my reputation, nobody knowing who I am. But I have experienced the reality of selling off a lot of stuff and starting over again um, and not necessarily having the benefit of certain things to start the new. And what I know about me is I love building things and I'm not particularly artistic and I'm not particularly musical. Uh, I'm not particularly mechanical. I don't like changing light bulbs. Uh, I don't like, you know, DIY projects around the home. I just like creating companies. I like ideas and I like doing it. So if all that happened, my guess is what I would do first and foremost is I would go and look for a job and I would find a job that took care of today so that I was free to think about tomorrow. Because what I know about me is I'm, I'm still fairly risk averse. Even as an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm fairly risk averse. And if I'm worried about, especially if I got all the kids and family, I'm thinking like, how am I going to eat? Okay, cool. Check. But what I know is I can get that done in 40 hours, right? I know I get that done in, in, in you know, in 40 hours a week. And, and I know that I'm probably going to need to sleep another 40 hours in that week, which is going to leave about another 40 hours where I could do my own stuff. And that's what I did when I started my first company. I mean, granted, I was at university, but I was a full-time student with part, with two part-time jobs. And I still started a company, you know, on the side. Because everybody thinks they're like, oh, I just don't have enough time. You have so much freaking time. Time galore. Every single day. It's just it's used so poorly. And so I would I would absolutely go look around, look for somebody that what skills could I acquire? Um, what could I do to help people? I would start off doing it as a service, probably for free, until I got good enough that I could charge for it. Uh, and I would learn, you know, by doing that. And I would eventually develop a reputation by delivering um, an amazing, you know, service to at least 10 people. That's my thing. Give me 10. I want to sell and serve 10. If I got 10 that are thrilled that they did business with me, now I got a business. And yeah, I think I build exactly what I have right now, man. I, I, I am fortunate. I don't have to worry about money anymore. And I don't say that to be weird, but it is. It's like that line from Forrest Gump. It's one less thing. Um, I'm doing this because I love this game. It's so much fun. Now, do I love starting businesses from scratch? Not as much, not alone. I, what I love doing right now is helping entrepreneurs who have that traction 
to to really kind of scale up. I would do it if I had to. But right now, today, I'm way more interested in the entrepreneurs who have figured the thing out because I can't do that for somebody. Mm. I can't drag somebody kicking and screaming to traction and product market fit or whatever you want to call it. That's the entrepreneurial journey. I think that's largely a solo mission. Somebody who says like, oh, I'm going to help you build your business from total scratch. Eh, that's that's on you. Now, once you get it going, now you need help. And I, and I want to be there to help those folks. Awesome. I love it. Those 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 are really great response. So on that uh, on that note, you've actually written a book about how to do this called Get Scalable. Is that right? Or that's that's coming out soon? Yeah. Where can people go to find that? I know it's yeah, not yet, but by the time hopefully by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be out. Or but where can we send people to do that? And also, I'd love to. Um, and this loops back to the second exit of the entrepreneur building an operating system. The scalable operating system is is phenomenal. So where can people go to kind of like dig into some of this stuff and actually start to take all of this knowledge that you've got and start applying it in their own business? Yeah. So getscalable.com is where you can go and, and learn more about uh, both the book and and the operating system that you referenced. Because really the book is kind of talking about how to install the operating system just in book form. Um, and and it's going to, book's going to be coming out in, in mid-August. Uh, um, and so I'm very excited about that. So yeah, if you if you see this, pre-order yours, uh, please. Want to build up? Uh, Want to build up pre-orders? This to me really has been, I think, the best reason to write a book is because you have something to say, uh, and this has been kind of. I feel like it's my life's work, and it has almost nothing to do with marketing. It has everything to do with actually scaling, and growing a company, because uh, the assumption is that you got enough there figured out. It, it, there's marketing bits and pieces in there if you know to look for them, but this is the book that I wish I had when I got started. The book that I wish I had when I believed that, you know, growth was enough. And uh, I wrote every word of it. I didn't use chat GPT or anything. Um, it's, you know, Fancy. so it's you've, got, you've gone analog. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm not saying if it had been around that I wouldn't have got a little help, but the reality is, is I pretty much finished the manuscript when chat GPT got out. But um, yeah, I'm really, you know, I'm really, really proud of the book. And, um, and for people who if you realize like, okay, I'm kind of sick of being the operating system, um, that, that's who we're talking to. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's really needed. And you obviously have the reason that you've created, you know, scalable company, scalable operating system, and now I've written the book, Get Scalable. It's because there is something missing in the, in the, in the entrepreneurial world. You can find loads of stuff out there that's going to be motivational. Go and do some big, wonderful things. You can get things around uh, marketing and sales, but there's not really much out there that kind of says, hey, this is how you build a business. Not just how do you make money, how do you build a business? How do you build a business that can achieve everything that you want and also achieve everything uh, that, you know, to, to craft something meaningful and impactful? So it's definitely much needed and uh, I encourage everyone to go and check that out. We'll put some links into the, um, into the podcast show notes as well. Ryan, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. Goose, thanks for having me. Appreciate the conversation.